Okay, guys, let's go ahead and get, uh, get back to our seats, get our Bibles out. We're going to spend some, hopefully, some super encouraging time in God's Word today, maybe a little convicting, hopefully mostly encouraging, um, but uh, we are going to continue today in our series on the love of God something I don't think we can ever uh, get enough of and stop talking about because it is so difficult for us to really understand and to know and receive and be filled with God's amazing love. So um, we do have uh, uh, much of our high school uh, high schoolers are in Chicago uh, this morning and they needed uh, for, a, for a homecoming event with all their friends from camp, that sort of thing. So super encouraging time uh, for them. Um, we needed some brave souls to supervise them. And uh, Eli and Janssen, who lead our teen ministry, said, we're out. <laughs> we're out. Are you kidding me? A weekend in a hotel with all those crazy kids. Uh, so Chris and Kathy Moose and uh, Grayson and Ivy who have yet to be initiated, uh, uh, volunteered to go. So we're thankful for them. Anyways, let's be praying for them. They have a great time, safe travels back home. Okay, um, loving God. We've, we're in this series, and we're doing three things in each of these messages. We're talking about understanding the love of God. First, being filled with God's love and then overflowing the love of God. And I'm repeating that pattern on purpose because this really is the pattern, I believe, to an emotionally, a spiritually healthy walk with God and walk with one another and walk in our mission to the world. When we, aren't, when we don't understand and are filled with the love of God, our Christianity can become dutiful and a bit Drudgery, it's more about a commitment than it is about a passion and an overflowing. And so we got to keep understanding and being filled with the love of God. Amen? Uh, understanding, being filled, and overflowing. Last week, we talked about how God's love covers a multitude of sins and how it's so easy for sin and guilt and shame to block us from really understanding and receiving the love of God. So if you miss that, or maybe need to hear that, if you're a guilty soul like myself, you need to hear that again and again, then please go back and listen to that and know that you are covered. God's love is a covering love. Uh, today, we're talking about how God's love is an abounding love, an abundant love. Who in here thinks that God loves them? Most of us would raise our, we know, right? God loves us, of course. And too, not too many of us would be like, well, naturally, right? <laughs> uh, but we, we know that God loves us, but a lot of times the way we act, we don't yet understand how wide and deep and thick and high the love of God is. We can treat God... Love that it may be kind of thin, maybe some shallow, some a, a bit of a flimsy type of love. So the goal of today's message 
is for us to understand, be filled with an overflow, and that God's love is abounding, an abundant love. Amen? And this is rooted in the thought here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, halfway through. Ephesians 3, very famous section of Scripture. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, this was Paul's goal. He's like, I wish you could know the height, the depth, the width. I'm praying that you really understand uh, the riches, the richness of God's love so you can be filled with it and that you can overflow it. And the reason Paul would write this because the church in Ephesus, he just felt like they didn't quite get it yet. Understanding the love of Christ is not an easy thing. Uh, I don't think any of us, I don't understand yet. And I don't think I will until we enter into glory. Amen? But I hope today we can understand a little bit better, and that's what Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, is that God will open your eyes, and that only by the power of God you'll really be able to be filled with the abundance, the abounding nature of the love of God, that the love of God is not shallow or thin or flimsy, but that it's rich and deep and high and full. You know, um, the depth of our joy, the depth of our peace, our trust, our surrender, and our satisfaction uh, is dependent on us understanding the depth of the love of God. Um, if our overflow of this love is at best a measured type of overflow, a dependent, a safe overflow, uh, and at worst at times our overflow is stingy or tight-fisted, we really don't get yet the depth of God's abounding love. So the, today we're going to look at uh, God introducing this part of His love in, in Exodus chapter 34, and then we're going to look at how Nehemiah interpreted God's abounding love as God dealt with his people historically, and then we're going to look at how to be filled and how to overflow with this love. Amen? Exodus chapter 34. So this is um, Moses getting to know this God, Yahweh. God really introduces himself in a personal way with Moses as he forms the people of God, okay? And so they, they got the Ten Commandments. Remember what happened the first time they got the Ten Commandments? What did the people do under Aaron's leadership? Made an idol, right? I'm, not, I, I'm a little nervous, can't see God, and I don't know where Mo is, and they spent a long time up there, uh, absent, and so we need a God, okay? And so they put together their gold. It's amazing how generous and sacrificial the world is in worshiping false gods, okay? They put together their gold, outspring, as Aaron said, the calf, um, and they worship the calf, 
And uh, um, Moses came down, and Moses uh, got a bit upset, right? Of course, God was upset. Moses was like, oh, no, 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 God, it's, it'll be okay. And then, and then Moses saw what was going on, threw down the tablets, broke them, made the people eat the gold and the calf and all this kind of stuff, okay? So then God's like, all right, we need to do this. We need to still make some tablets. So chapter 34, verse 1, I'm just going to read a little background to this part. I love this. said, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which, which you broke. <laughs> Don't you love that? Uh, you can just see God, Moses talking, and God's maybe poking a little fun. Remember those first ones? Yeah, the ones that your temper got the best of. The ones you broke. Well, all right, I'm abounding in love. Let's do this again, okay? Um, be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one's to come to, with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. That had to be a bit of a climb, huh? Bit of a climb carrying those two What do you think he was thinking about as he was carrying those two big heavy stone tablets all the way up that mountain? What do you think he was thinking about? Thinking, he's thinking like, yeah, they better be behaving. How about he's thinking like, I think I better not get angry. Again, I think God's teaching me a lesson through a little pain and suffering that uh, uh, I need to control my temper a little better. I don't know exactly what he was thinking, but I would have been thinking that. Uh, verse 5, then the Lord, now listen to this, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Could you imagine Moses up to the mountain and God then coming down and just standing with him? Standing with him. Someday, we're just going to stand. We're going to kneel. We're going to be with Jesus. Amen? Hope you're looking forward to that day. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. Now this, remember, this is Yahweh. This is his personal God. We, Moses doesn't, he's still learning who God is. The Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. You know, a lot of times we confuse God's love with that means uh, everything's just going to go perfectly. We'll address that later. We are punished for our sin, and rightfully so. Amen? God's love and punishment are not two opposite things. God punishes us in love for our best. But I love where he says here this very famous 
Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. Okay, this is a description of who God is in his character. Gracious, compassionate, and abounding in love. This is this uh, description of the character of God is also referred to a number of a number of other times in the Old Testament. I'm going to read a few of them. Psalm 86, verse 15. David writes, uh, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Joel, chapter 2, verse 13. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. And lastly, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That, I, that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see how throughout history, who is God? Who is God? God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. The love of God, in the, the, that its nature is an abundant love, not a flimsy love, not a quick-tempered, short, shallow love, not an unfulfilling love, but a love that is incredibly abundant. Now let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 9. I want us to look at Nehemiah. It's interesting how at this point in history, Nehemiah, which is after uh, the people of God were formed in Exodus, then you had the kings, uh, um, and you had the, um, you had the uh, exile, the punishment, because the people of God weren't faithful to God, so God punished them for 70 years. But then Nehemiah and Ezra are the people coming back to Jerusalem. And it's very interesting, this section of Scripture, because Nehemiah is interpreting history at this point through this understanding of God's love. And I want to I want to listen to here listen here to Nehemiah and and, uh, and how he is interpreting this love of God. Nehemiah chapter nine verse thirteen. It's a little bit longer section, but I want us to listen for the abundance of love that God shows to His people. It says you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath, you gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. 
But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They take over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky. And you brought them into the land, and you told their fathers to enter. Excuse me, that you told their fathers to enter and possess. Their sons went in and took possession of the land. You subdued them before them, the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handed the Canaanites over to them, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well-nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who pressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heavens you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them to return to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you admonished them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you handed them over to the neighboring peoples, but in your great mercy... You did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, O our God, the great and mighty awesome God, and he goes on to petition God to once again be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, before we get to self-righteous over those bad Israelites. 
let's remind ourselves we are of the same stock. We also act this way. How many times have you learned your lesson the first time perfectly and didn't need grace and compassion and an abundance of God's mercy and patience and unfailing love? Are you with me there? We're the same way. Um, God, in his abounding love, did not desert them in the desert. He did not stop guiding them, though he could have repeatedly. Are you with me there? But he gave them the Holy Spirit in the form of the cloud in the daytime, fire at night to guide, to protect, to keep safe. He gave them his spirit. He gave them instruction. He gave them food and water. And by the way, um, they first got manna, right? They got this bread-like substance. Water in the middle of the desert flowing out of the rock, God provided. And yet, the Israelites, just like you and I, we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied with what God gave. We want more. We want better. And so they started to lust after the old Egyptian ways. They forgot about the slavery that they were in. And it's like, oh, the food we ate. If only we had some meat. And remember what God, Moses told God? Moses was like, God's like, okay, I'll give them meat. Because um, I love them. I'm abounding in love. And Moses is like, God, we're 600,000 men. We're in the desert. We don't have the, the, the amount of cattle. There's no way we could. And God said something super key that I, we're going to get to our practicals later. He said, is the Lord's arm too short? Really, is the Lord's arm too short? I did create the universe out of nothing with a word. And you're worried and upset about 600. Now, don't get me wrong, 600,000 men, women and children, and a lot of people to feed in the middle of the desert. All right? We're just, we'd be just like Moses, but God's like, I am an abound, abundant God. And so what did he do? It says he changed the wind direction, the quail come on in, and it said as far as the Israelites could walk for a day in every direction. I walk at about a 20-minute per mile pace, okay? I'm a little slower walker, maybe. But I could walk in one day 36 miles. So 36, 36, so 72 by 72 miles. I did the math earlier. I'm not going to bore you. That's a lot of birds. <laughs> three feet deep. Three feet deep. Thousands of square miles, three feet deep in a day. God provided. I was going to show us a picture. Have you, have you ever heard of, there's more fish in the sea? Uh, there's some amazing pictures. Google image the fish in the sea, abundant fish in the sea. And there's a, there's a picture of this boat where the, 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 there's just the fish are so thick, he's just like walking on the fish, you know, a uh, fishing boat. Anyways, I've never had that fishing experience. Uh, but uh, an abundance of food, okay? Sandals that don't wear out. Clothing for 40 years. Their feet didn't swell. Um, the people of God didn't get it. The abundance, the, abund the abounding love of God. And then God 
brought them into the promised land. But that first generation, they complained and whined and wanted their promised land now instead of where God was taking them. And so they missed out on where God was taking them. And it had to be their kids. But then he brought them into the promised land. He didn't just bring them to cities that were already made, fortified cities, strong cities. He didn't just bring them into a land, but some of the most fertile land on the planet. He didn't just bring them to houses, but filled houses. He didn't just have them uh, have water, already dug wells. He didn't just have vineyards, fruitful vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. That's how God treated his people in his love. He provided for them in abundance. And it says they ate and they were filled and they reveled in God's great goodness. And of course, it was so humbling to them after what God had brought them from and through and into this promised land that they said, Father, God, we will forever be humble and grateful and follow you with all of our hearts. Not quite what they, what, how they acted, right? It wasn't long before they were once again disobeying God because they were stubborn, stiff-necked, and didn't get internally the abundant love of God. Number, number one is we need to understand God's abundant love. God just doesn't kind of love you. He isn't just like, oh, okay. He has an abundant love for you, an abundant delight in you. He's so proud of you. Andrew stood up and did his journey share last week, and I says, I just felt this pride bubbling up in my heart, right? Didn't you? So proud of Andrew. He said later, so proud of you. And yet, what would, what would God feel toward his son? Are you with me there? An abundance of pride, grace, abundant grace. How about an abundance of detailed plans? One of our sermons about God's love, we're going to talk about how detailed God's love is. Detailed plans for your life. Incredible amounts of provision and protection in this age. And we're just talking about in this age and in the age to come, life eternal. Guys, this is not life. This is not the promised land here. This is the desert journey. The promised land, that's a coming. Our Christian hope is not for this age. It's for the age to come. Now, the age to come break in, and we can experience a little bit, just a taste during this age. But it's, it's, we're doing this so we can spend eternity with God in his restored kingdom. Amen? Amen? Okay. Um, you know, the problem with us as people is when it doesn't look exactly the way we want it, when we want it, and how we want it, we become picky eaters with God. Picky eaters. You know, I, I had a season of my life when I looked back, so for, what, for my grad school class, uh, I had to do an uh, autobiographical thing about our calling and, and just how God has called us to our, to our role. And uh, I, I thought back to some different times of hardship. 
And I'm not going to claim that I have the hardest of lives, but I'm just a normal person with some hardship. Um, one of the hardest things of my childhood was that uh, my parents, who were married 29 years, went through a divorce. And I, as the youngest child, was called on to be a peacemaker in this bad situation, okay? And that was, that was challenging. Um, and I was whining, and I was moaning about, oh, you know, my family. And, and it was real, and it was, and there's, there's legitimate hurt there, but I look back now, and how that's, that God worked through that to shape me into a useful vessel. Are you with me there? Um, the church I grew up in went through a split, ugly, divisive, nasty split. My best friends were on the other side, and that was hard, but God used that to teach us how to build unity and how to get along, amen? You know, um, there was a season about towards when I was uh, at the end of college. I was struggling to graduate from college. Um, I was fired from my job wrongfully. I lost my girlfriend, and I had a lot of feelings about, woe is me. You had those feelings? And we just get like, sheesh, enough already, all right? And, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, um, and I had become a disciple. So, you know, we make Jesus Lord, and we think, oh, Jesus Lord, and now I'm in the church. So I just, that's just, oh, just going to be sweet Jesus from the rest of my life. Blessing, grace, love of the family. It's just going, oh, so good. And after a couple, a couple years later, it was like, what happened, God? What happened? I mean, I decided to follow you, and I'm just trying to be a good servant. Where did you go? Because this doesn't feel very good. Right? And uh, uh, I thought you, I thought God, I thought that you, I thought you loved me. And I just had attitude. You know what I'm saying? You guys who have kids, you know. You know when they just got attitude. And, and, uh, uh, right. Okay, and so what did I do? Just same thing the Israelites did. Just gave over to sin, and I didn't. It wasn't a I slipped up type of sin. It was a I gave over, and then started looking for more. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You ever get that way? And I remember taking my little car, and I was just mad. I just peeled out of the. I acted a lot the same way that my when my dad said I had to do work. Remember, as a teenager, I've told this story. My dad said, you got to do work before you go out with your friends to the boat. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh we made arrangements. We were meeting down there. And then my dad said, uh, excuse me, as the owner of the boat, young man, and you got to do some work before you go out there. And I was just like, Spoiled little punk. And I got him. I said, fine. 
Maybe I won't use the ball, the boat at all today if I got to do work. And he said, fine. <laughs> My dad was a good dad. He wasn't taking no lip from me, right? And uh, uh, so I got in my car, which he gave me, and I peeled out of the gravel driveway because I showed him. <laughs> Went to my girlfriend's house and pouted. We should go to the boat today. This is what we do as people. When we don't get our way, when we want it, and how we want it, and where we want it, and with et cetera, et cetera, um, we start, and we just, we need to stop this whiny judgment of God's character based on not getting what we want, when we want it, and how we want it, and trust that God's love is abundant. And what he's giving us at this time in our lives is exactly that abundant love dialed in to just what we need. Like, well, that, that's hardship. Uh-huh. Well, that, those people, they sinned against me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That hurts, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Let me dial this in to just what I needed at just the right time. See, we have the perspective of right here and now, our own feelings and our own emotions. We don't have the perspective of God. So this isn't the way I thought life was supposed to go. And since when did you author life? I, I, I thought I authored life. I thought I created you. Right? You with me? And uh, um, when, we, when we believe and trust in God's abundant love, then we embrace the hand that has been dealt us. And we learn through suffering and hardship, and we allow it to shape our soul and our depth and our character, trusting that there is an age to come. There is a promised land on the horizon, and God will make it clear the purpose of which he is dialing in the good, the bad, and the ugly in our present situation. Amen? You with me? Understanding God's love. Secondly, being filled with God's abundant love. A couple, couple quick things. And then we'll talk about being overflowing with God's love. To be filled with God's love, number one, we've got to ask two questions. God, please open my eyes. Open my eyes that I may see. I don't, we don't see with natural eyes. We need spiritual eyes to see the love of God. Another question to ask is, is the Lord's arm too short? Is the Lord's arm too short to handle this difficult situ situation? Is the Lord's arm too short? I think we should conclude no. The Lord's arm is not too short to save or his ear too dull to hear. Amen? God knows. God knows. God's at work. Secondly, stop trying to be filled with the love of the world. The love of the world is not abundant. The love of the world is thin. It's shallow. It's dependent on how you act. And we can't have... God's love be that way because how we act is deserved of God's wrath. So if God's love was the way the love of the world was, then we would not be in a good spot. You know, too many of us are trying to be filled with horizontal love, people love. Whether it be love from the opposite sex or love from mom or dad 
or brother or sister or whatever, none, no horizontal love will fill your soul because your soul is designed for God's love, number one. And number two, every horizontal love is broken. Every, every love that comes from the side. Do you, do you understand what I mean when I say horizontal? I mean other people primarily, but things, successes, money, jobs, these things that are of the earth. It's broken. It's temporary. It's not God, and it won't fill you. And so this is why we're just left with wanting more. We think a little bit more, and we'll be filled. Stop. Just stop, and you'll find a doorway to fulfillment by going to God's love. And then number three, you just got to receive the love of God. So, so, so often it's just hard to receive it. Well, I'm not this or that. See sermon number one, okay? Open up, receive. And then not just receive, but lastly, revel. Revel. It says they reveled in God's great goodness. When's the last time you stopped just to revel in God's abundant love for you? Just letting the sun shine on you, enjoying the beautiful creation, and a, a, a reveling. We have to learn how to slow down. And we're just go, go, go. Vikings game, meeting, soccer, basketball, uh, homework, job. We're just so herky jerky in life that. The space is not created to, to revel. And this is where the wisdom of Sabbath and these types of things comes in. We're not going to get into that. But letting yourself revel, giving yourself permission to let the carpet get a little dirtier, put the vacuum down, and revel in some good old love of God. Amen? And lastly about overflowing God's love to one another. Two quick verses, and then we'll take communion. So when we're filled with God's love, we can't help but let it overflow. This was Paul's prayer, Philippians chapter 1, Galatians, Ephesians, there we go. Verse 9 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound. You hear it? Abound? more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. The prayer that your, his prayer is that your love may abound. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Paul's prayer for the church was that their love would overflow. Their abounding love, they would be filled to overflowing. Um, it, when we're stingy and tight-fisted, we're not overflowing in abundance of our love toward one another. Just have a, do a quick check. Have I been thin or shallow in these ways? Overflowing. My time, the time I give to God. Stingy or overflowing in abundance? Initiation with God, with others, with my enemies. 
with my neighbors. Initiation. Encouragement. Overflowing of encouragement. Jordan was off. Christy and Jordan went this morning to church in Minneapolis, so then they went to their soccer tournament in the cities. And I uh, just sent her a quick, quick text because uh, I wanted to encourage her. And I said, let me just read this. This was kind of, mainly her response was pretty cool. It said, So Jordan, kick some butt today. That's what I said. Don't forget to take ibuprofen, <laughs> but fight through the pain either way. So proud of you and love you abundantly. She wrote back, thank you, smiley face, heart, heart. Love you too. I, that's all I need. I'm good. I got God's love and I got my little girl's love. Amen? Uh, I'm, I'm going to revel in that and take a screenshot of that. Simple words of encouragement is what we need. Amen? Have you been thin or shallow with words of encouragement to others? Or have you been an overflowing of abundance? Hospitality. Hospitality. Affection. Giving affection. Trust. Giving trust. Money, resources, and sacrifice. And I want to close. Lead us into communion. What's the number one way that God proved and showed his abundant, overflowing love? John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's abundant love overflowed in the gift of Christ. Christ's abundant love overflowed in the gift to us, not to himself, but to us of his death, his burial. And his resurrection, and he lives today. And he says, I want to give you life in life to the full, which is also translated life in abundance. Let's take this time of communion to remember the love of God, to receive this abundant love of God, even to revel in the glory of what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus means for us. Forgiveness of our sins, reception of the Holy Spirit, and protected and guided until we enter into glory. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray for communion.